Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another in the fire. Well, hey, thanks for joining us here on In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate. My name is Rob Gicking, and I'm joined here with a special guest today, Mike Kanjan. And we're going to be talking about the, the process of leaving and cleaving, which is cute because it rhymes, but is a little bit difficult to put into practice. And to illustrate the principle behind this, I thought I'd share a wonderful story. At the time we're recording, it's June, and that means it's wedding season. And weddings are such beautiful things. Um, a man loves a woman. The woman loves him back. They exchange vows. People that they love are there. There's some prayers and singing. Rings are given to one another. And the eternal commitment of love is represented in the ring. And it's such a beautiful day. And everything seems really straightforward. There's rainbows and butterflies and lovely music emanating wherever you guys go as you hold hands and drive off into the sunset to the honeymoon. And your marriage has officially begun, and it's perfect, and it's lovely, and it's beautiful until the first major holiday. Because mom and dad are coming over, and dad likes his potatoes mashed with little chunks of chives and some butter and, uh, you know, chunky mashed potatoes. But your new spouse, well, they like their potatoes nice and creamy, no chunks, no butter, no chives. And all of a sudden, the perfect holiday is ruined because you have an internal stress bomb that's about to go off. Who do you choose? Your spouse, whom you love, but have only been married to for a little while? Or your parents, who raised you, cared for you, loved you, changed your diapers? And who the Bible calls you to honor and obey? Do you leave or do you cleave? This is the question. So, how's a young family to thrive in the midst of this dynamic when your new family oftentimes can, you know, bump shoulders in, in sort of... Um, uh, abrasive ways with your old family. And today we're going to dive into that. We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to talk about what it means. And to help us do all that, I have Mike here, who is head pastor of Chapelgate and author of A Sometimes Stumbling Life. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's great to be here. Yeah. And so before we get into the really, uh, the, the deep conversation, I have a massively important question for you. Okay. All right. Question of the day. Do you prefer deep dish pizza or New York style pizza? Important question. It is. Uh, I would go New York style. The thinner the crust, the better. The thinner the crust, the better. All right, folks. Well, you heard you heard it here first. So, yeah. well, Mike, we're I'm really excited to have you here. Um, thanks for making some time for us. So, I guess first, my question is: Have you ever dealt with this in your life, like the stress of sort of you know your marriage, your kids, your parents? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, the answer is absolutely, because I think every marriage does. You know, it's one thing to talk about it before a couple gets married. It's another thing to, as you talked about with the potatoes, <laughs> to, to put it into practice because it becomes the first time you've ever done it differently in your whole life. Yeah. Maybe 20 years, maybe 25 years, whatever it might be, maybe 30. So, yeah, our first Christmas together... Um, we were in Jackson, Mississippi, where I was a senior in seminary, uh, married in, a, in an apartment. And so we decided that we would, you know, have our first Christmas together without our family. Well, Catherine comes from a family. It was very precious, still is. 
I come from a very loud Armenian family, so Christmas is this big explosion of holiday stuff. And um, and but we said let's let's start our own our own custom, our own thing. And um, uh, so we had a few gifts for each other. We were both working a million jobs, not making any money, and. Um, and uh, we got a tree. We even did one of those trees where you clip on candle lights. Oh. And we, <laughs> we lit them one night, and we we're like, "This whole place is gonna burn down." So we blew them out real quick. But, anyways, uh, instead of uh, celebrating Christmas, essentially we celebrated Hanukkah because <laughs> by the time Christmas Day came, we had opened just about everything but the boring presents. And um, that day it poured. And a friend of mine in seminary who didn't have it, anybody just showed up at our front door, turned on our TV, and here Catherine and, her, and I are. We're missing her family. She's missing her family. I'm missing my family. We're so kind of put off by my friend just showing up that we leave and go for a drive while he stays in the apartment. You left your own, you left your house. We, left him. we came back. He finally left, and um, I said to Catherine. Uh, we were supposed to go on New Year's Eve. You want to just leave tomorrow? And she goes, yes. And we, we drove off, and we were so glad we did because we really didn't know how to celebrate Christmas with just one person. Yeah. And uh, so it hit us right away. We had some adjusting to do. That's a really good story. I think it illustrates that tension between... I mean, you and Catherine love each other. Obviously, that's why you're married. And yet, yeah, at the same yeah. time, you, you you do. There's a loss almost of, like, as you start something new, you're adjusting to the difference, and you miss your, your you know, quote-unquote, old family. You miss your parents. You, you know? do. I mean, we just celebrated 40 years of marriage. But along the way, there have been these moments where your context up until you took those vows is a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. I... I um, Let's go ahead and dive in now okay. to to like where this idea comes from. And so obviously we know, you know, the the clearest example is here in Genesis chapter 2. This is right after God has made man and then he's made Eve and introduces Eve to Adam and Adam breaks out in a song, right? This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then our key verse, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, so if, if you could um, maybe give us a little background of this or, or just sure. even like what does that even mean to, to leave the father and mother and hold fast to the wife and become one flesh? Yeah, so, so yeah, there is a context, uh, verses 18 through 25 uh, begin with God realizing that it's not good for Adam to be alone, right? right? It's the first malediction in the Bible, and there's no sin yet. So nobody had committed a sin, and God says it is not good. Mm. He had been saying it is good after he created each thing each day, and uh, but, but here he says it is not good, which is really cool, because God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here he puts this man on earth to name the animals. They have partners. This guy has nobody. Mm. And so it's... A, Again, it's really interesting. God's not saying, you know, for all the times we say to people, you know, is Jesus enough for you? He's not saying, I'm really offended because I'm not enough for Adam. He, he created us to exist in community. Wow. In relationship. And he looks at Adam and he, Adam, 
and says, you know, he needs someone. So he, he, he says he needs a helper. And what's really interesting is that the word that's used for helper there in the Hebrew is used 27 times in the Old Testament, and 19 of them are used to describe God. Wow. So he's not saying he needs an assistant, or he needs a servant. He needs he, he just needs an equal. He needs someone that's there with him. Right. Who, who he loves, who loves him. So that's what leads to verse 23, you know, where God puts Adam in sleep, and we've heard all the jokes about it and stuff like that. <laughs> and at, literally, she's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, because God removes an, uh, a rib and, and creates her. So that's the context, is that we weren't created to live alone. We weren't created to live in. Uh, we were created to live in a co in community, and and that's why, you know, the church is so important for single people, because single people don't always marry, and and that malediction, before there was sin, on some level applies to them, and and it's found in the loneliness they feel, and the sadness they feel when we talk about you know, marriage things all the time. Right, and right. And so they feel that malediction, and therefore, as the church, we're to be, in many cases, in every case, to them on a spiritual level, what they might not find outside there. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I've actually never heard that, that connection between, um, like, the singleness. This, You're single, sure, but you still are, you're in need of, of the help, that's right? right, and and that's where the body of Christ, the church, can be, um, can kind of fill that role. That's yeah. that's really neat. That's yeah. really neat. So, so talk to me a little bit now about like, um, I guess the the holding fast. Like, like yeah. so, why why leave my parents, and yeah. what does it mean to hold fast to my spouse? Because this yeah. is this is you know a man shall leave his parents. Yes, but like this is also probably fair to say is is a mandate for for the wife as well. Yeah, but I think it's interesting. And I mean, maybe you'd fit this under the category of, do you really want to live in your room that you grew up in for the rest of your life? <laughs> but but um, uh, it, you're bringing that up is interesting. Isn't it interesting that it talks about the man going to the wife and right. not the other way around? And so, you know, you think of the big picture of Christ the bridegroom coming for the church, the bride, and so there is this always this coming to redeem, coming to love, coming to consummate uh, that's built even into this uh, marriage bond between a husband and wife. In fact, the, the marriage of two believers really is the closest picture of what God is doing with the world and will do with the church that we have on earth when you think about it. So uh, the, the leaving and cleaving the word there is a word that used means to cement, hmm. to to uh, be uh, strongly joined with, and uh, and 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 yet in your your great introduction, uh, then there's reality. Yeah, right. Then the world hits. So, exactly. So you know when I'm doing premarital counseling, I tell a couple, uh, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take vows. And when you take those vows in God's in God's book, you're one flesh. And, you know, he's designed marriage so that, and it's a little embarrassing, but physically and sexually, you, you sort of become one flesh. You really right. do. In fact, 
in, in the Old Testament, when vows were taken, if it wasn't kind of the quickie valve where you put a hand under the thigh of the, of the person you're vowing with, like David and Jonathan did when David was being chased by Saul and they promised to care for each other's children, assuming that, that David was going to die first, they quickly put their hands under each other's um, hamstrings and they, and they swore to each other that they'd care for their family. And of course, David ended up caring for Mephibosheth, right. who was Jonathan's son, right? After Jonathan died. But the longer version was more like what happened with uh, Abram. And, and what happened was you'd take uh, animals, like a, a bull, uh, a sheep, and a bird, and you'd cut them in half. And you'd make this, this passage of blood. And then you would prick the palms of each person, which was kind of this cryptic foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus. You'd put their palms together, and you'd bind it with a wire. Hmm. And these two people would walk in figure eights with each other, and they'd covenant with each other. Wow. And of course, we know with Abram, God put Abram to sleep. So God took both sides of the covenant. Because what you're saying was, if I don't do for you, Rob, what I vow I'm going to do to you, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. Right. And so God took both sides of that. He kept his part. Abram didn't. Jesus went to the cross. But symbolically, you become one person. It's like symbolically your circulatory systems join at the palm. Right, because of the blood, right? Yeah. Like, okay. That's right. So if you were cut in half, you would die. And so when that couple takes that vow, it's as though they're saying, I'm you, you're me, and God sees us as one, but then I tell them, but the rest of your life's going to be becoming that. Okay. The rest of your life, you are going to be, just like as a Christian, you know, we believe in the doctrine of sanctification, progressive, that we're constantly being made more like Jesus by the work of the Spirit until we die. For the rest of your life, you're going to be becoming one. The rest of your life, you're going to knock heads. You're going to struggle. In fact, I tell couples, I want you to remember this, that in the first year when you have your first fight and you're sitting there thinking, should I have married this person? What was I thinking? That your pastor told you that was going to happen. Right. Because it does. And it's all part of, it's not dating anymore. It's not, you know, making sure you look your best, smell your best, act your best, and all. You're being completely you. And, you were, and, and that's really what verse 25 is about. And, the, and Adam and Eve were naked and the two Felt were ashamed. Not, not ashamed. Yeah. In other words, you're about to see someone for all they'll ever be, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every sense. And the rest of your life will be, be becoming one flesh. Okay, so that's really interesting because it's it's as if we're looking at this verse and we'll get to the leave you know leaves his parents in a second but as we as we look at hold fast to his wife this is not a one and done deal I, I don't hold fast on my my wedding day and then all of a sudden I'm I'm fastly held or you know holding it's a yeah. process in, in the same way that you get concerned when someone says yeah I became a, I prayed that prayer 30 years ago but there's no fruit out of it no it's relationship and mm -hmm. relationship finds its beauty in a shared journey that is easy and hard, beautiful and ugly, you know, complex and simple, all these things where you say, in the same way that we raise our children, 
I don't want to do this thing alone, and I'd rather give up the independence I had and, and struggle to be one with you for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, okay, so lesson number one might be holding fast is a process. It it's is, a process. It's a verb. It's a commitment, Yeah. it's a process. Okay. You know, it's, it's a covenant. We covenant with each other, and, uh, you know, obviously we live in a day where that covenant is taken a little more lightly, it seems, but it's a, it's a commitment we make. And what, what we're saying is, I believe God's making us one here, and I believe that he will make us one. As we as we go forward in this thing, yeah, and I'm I'm even just thinking, as you as you're talking, Mike, I'm thinking about my own marriage and, and me and Kate and just how that just takes a lot of prayer mm-hmm. because that's not really something I can you know yes there are, there are things I can do right there's behaviors there's you know, I could do the dishes you know yeah. th- there's things that I can do but at the yeah. same time I'm going my natural inclination is always going to be to do what's best for me. And really, to get to a place where I'm held held fast, I'm one flesh, means yeah. I'm doing what's best for my wife. Yeah. And that is so counter to, to me. And, like, I'm not saying that for any other reason than that is what God is putting in my heart right now as we talk. It's exactly true, Rob. I mean, that, and that's the value of when you take that covenant, you're really saying God's making us one. Because in our flesh, we're so selfish. I'm so selfish, so self-serving. Catherine's a very unselfish person. I'm a very selfish person. And, and um, uh, you know, we have some of those cooking stories and the way it would be done and stuff like that on both, set, both ends. Right. So if, if, you, if you don't know that it's a process, it can be really hopeless. Yeah. If you know it's a process... And you believe that together, you can say, hey, there's a lot of grace to forgive here. And uh, say, you know, kind of go in reverse a little and start over and try again. Because um, because we'll make a ton of mistakes. Yeah, that's that's great. And I think that really does, it, it lays a foundation for how I then sort of discern discern the mashed potatoes how do i yeah. discern whose family we go to on thanksgiving yeah. and christmas and it helps me make those decisions because i'm going well as a spouse my call is is to hold fast to my wife and you know she's going to hold fast to me and yeah. you start to make decisions based on that at yeah. least that's our prayer right that the holy spirit would change our hearts to be less and less focused on ourselves more and more focused on our on our spouse that's right and that sort of is what the leaving is all about you know, the, the leaving is not about saying, you know, uh, we can't talk anymore. Right. Uh, it, it's really kind of shifting where my first source of love, uh, care, nurture, and, and acceptance is, humanly speaking. That my, the first place, the, the first life-giving place has been... Has been uh, given to my spouse. Yeah. And uh, so that she's never, and one of the rules we, I, you know, tell people when you get, listen, if you ever have conflicts with your families, you deal with your parents, you deal with your parents, and you do it on behalf of your spouse. Wow. Don't make them go to their, your parents. Because if you do that, it'll make them hate her or him, and vice versa. So, so my, my, my first priority becomes becomes my my wife she's number one and if i do that then that'll help me in raising our children too interesting because she becomes not she's always number one 
and uh, and they and when they see that, then they'll understand that word. In fact, the the word for mother in the Hebrew comes from the same root word that means point of departure. Point of departure. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, when we have our children, we are nurturing them to depart from us. So it's healthiest when our parents have been have you know they're believing parents and they're not fostering this a, a deep emotional dependence for you know uh, approval or or identity that could in some way cripple going forward so let's talk about that that's really interesting yeah so and and you know we'll, we'll come back a little bit to us as as husband and wife but let's talk about us as parents for a second yeah. What you're actually saying is that this doesn't just cast a vision for how I behave in my marriage. It's also casting a vision for, for what is what is quote-unquote success look like as I raise my children. Yeah, that's right. I mean, think of it. God gives Adam to Eve. So God, you know, and he's not going through a, an identity crisis. He's not, he's not giving him conditions and saying, other than don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he's not saying... You know, I, I want you to remember that I'm your father. Right. I, no. He, he's, and because it, he's also the first attendant, the first father to attend a wedding. Yeah. His wife. So before there were parents, God brought Adam and Eve together, and he gave Adam to Eve. It, it wasn't, let me put it this way, because so many people live in emotionally crippling relationships with their parents, because their parents have attached uh, an unhealthy kind of dependence on them. Yes. To the extent that they they can't make their spouse their first priority. Wow. So it could go both ways. It's it's like yeah. I can I can as a as a child yes. as a ch- as a married child I can put too much emphasis on my parents, uh, their approval. Their uh, their relationship with me, and That's yet at right. the same time, sometimes I might look at my spouse and go, "You're great, but it's really all about my kids, yeah, and that's my right. life satisfaction hinges upon my children and exactly. my relationship with my children." And that that can almost be manipulative. Oh, it's manipulative, and and it comes out of somebody's own brokenness that they haven't faced or dealt with, and as a result, they they pile all this emotional baggage on their children. And it really hurts marriages. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 heavy. Yeah. <laughs> that's heavy. Yeah. It's hard. It's it's painful pastorally at times. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So, okay. So we, we see a little bit. Um, you know, if I could summarize so far, what we're seeing is that God's vision for marriage yeah. really is to put your spouse and their needs at at the forefront of your life. Absolutely. And by the way, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, uh, subvert honoring your mother and father. Right. It, in fact, it feeds it. it. You know, when we could be with Catherine's parents, we could be with my parents, and it was a gift. It was a gift we got to enjoy because there was no unfinished business. And whatever little unfinished business there may have been, we were working through together, acknowledging together, helping one another with. And, and, and therefore... Because they gave us the ability, the gift of, it's going to be time to move on. Um, we were, we have not felt like, I just can't stand to be with them. 
Right. Because they weren't sucking the life out of us. Yeah, they weren't putting a bunch of pressure on you to satisfy them. That's right. And as a result, it was a pleasure. It's a joy to be around them. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think one time I heard, I'm not sure if this was Jim McKee or, or I know Paul Koistra has said this, another mentor of mine. He said, the best thing for you to, to be to your children, the best way for you to be a dad yeah. is to love their mom. Absolutely. It keeps the center in the right place. You know, our son-in-law and daughter and three grandsons are about to move from here to Miami. It's finally public. <laughs> They've sold their house. They bought a house. And it's a great picture of that. They felt, and, and by the way, both sets of parents live within 20 miles of one another. They Where they are now. They between us. Yeah. yeah. And the, our ability to say, by God's grace, because we're, you know, we're going to hate not having them here. We're devastated on one hand. We're thrilled for them to say, we want you to do. We want you to be free to do. It, it's a gift that God gives us that our parents gave us that we pass on. So it that's where the I'd say the greatest value of premarital counseling is. Wow. Is figuring out what they're bringing into the marriage so that you can work through some of that stuff and understand it. And that creates kind of the path going forward as husband and wife. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So what we we see sort of what this should look like. Yeah. What God wants it to look like. Yeah, yeah. What about you know? Let's say let's say you aren't the the parent, right? My, I yeah. don't have a parent like you, and I'm yeah. telling them, hey, I you know I think me and my my family are gonna move to Texas. We got this job opportunity, and they're going, what? You know, like yeah. it's it, what do I do when I feel like my parents yeah. or even my my spouse's parents aren't functioning? Like they don't get the whole leave thing. Yeah. What what is some advice you might give us? So so. The advice I would give you is that, first of all, not because you're better and not because you're stronger, not because, but because you're the husband, you're a key. And um, advice that one of Catherine's professors gave her in college, she was a music major, um, when it had to do with something that Catherine needed to uh, deal with with her parents, because initially they didn't like me as much, but they loved me. Anyway. I loved them too. Great, great was sometimes you have to say or in the spirit of I love you and I love you not and. I love you but but I love you and I love you and this is what we need to do interesting it, because here's the thing Rob it'll be okay I think that what kids who have been raised to be so connected emotionally with their parents that they feel guilty if there's a difference between them. Right. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they're afraid it won't be okay. That's the big thing. Everybody adjusts. Everybody moves on. Everybody. When I told my dad that I was going into ministry, he had, I had gotten a job at Eastern Airlines where he worked for 34 years. He was so proud. He was so excited. I'll never forget. He was mowing the lawn. And I came home and said, hey, I think I'm being called into the ministry. And he looked so hurt because he had a son that was he His, his ID number was 47535. Mine was 47531. Okay. Or 532. He was, he was devastated, but he was okay. Mm -hmm. And then he was proud later. And so the real issue is not convincing them 
It's remembering it's going to be okay. They'll work through it. The more confident you are in doing what God wants you to do, they'll catch up. They'll be okay. Yeah. Even if it takes 13 visits over two years, they'll be okay. But more importantly, you'll be okay because you're doing what you need to do. Right. Yeah, I think that's 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 really good. And and even a step further than that, the gospel actually gives us freedom to disappoint, right? Yeah, to disappoint right. others. That's right. To say that that I may disappoint, you know, my boss. I may disappoint my parents. I may disappoint these people. But if I'm doing it ultimately to, to do what's best for my family, to lay my life down for my spouse, yes. then I go, then God is pleased with that. That's right. Okay. And, and I think that's where, especially in the premarital counseling, but even if not, even if it comes in, you have to help them with that. The thing is, you know, to help them understand, listen, your approval is in Jesus, but it's really kind of an unlearning that ultimately it never was supposed to be in another person. Not even your spouse. Right. You know, ultimately, my identity is in Jesus, and therefore, you know, I'm going to be okay even in that disappointment. He's going to shepherd me through my sadness because it hurts to disappoint someone that you love. Absolutely. Uh, but but it will, really will be okay. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story with us, and uh, for giving us some some helpful pointers on how to understand this really important aspect of marriage and family dynamics. Um, I'm sure that our young families are going to be very blessed. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Mike. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. I actually am recording this bit post-interview because I realized how bad the audio was with that interview. Um, and if you made it all the way through that and you're still here, kudos to you. I know that was tough. But we're working hard on making sure the audio improves with each episode. I'm glad that even with technical difficulties, we were able to get Mike on for one of these episodes. I hope the conversation blessed you as much as it blessed me. Until next time, remember, there's another in the fire, and that means you're never alone. Thanks for listening.